want to turn your Bibles to Joshua uh, chapter 6. Joshua chapter 6, one of the most famous accounts in, in all the Old Testament of the Battle of Jericho. And so the question for us is, who fought the Battle, the battle of Jericho? Uh, who fought that? You guys remember, I don't know if any of you guys were in uh, Sunday school as kids, uh, and uh, Heather will kill me if I sing, so I'll read it like a poem. <laughs> remember the song? Joshua fought the battle of Jericho, Jericho, Jericho. <laughs> Joshua fought the battle of Jericho, Jericho, Jericho. Remember that? And what happened? And the walls came. Hey, you guys know it, don't you? But isn't it true the reality is that God fought the battle of Jericho? Isn't that the reality? That's what really happened. I mean, the song's fine. If you're teaching it to your kid, go right ahead. But, uh, but that's really, um, really what happened, is that the Lord fought the battle of Jericho. And Jericho is a great fortress. Um, the walls were 30 foot high. The wall was 30 foot high. It was about at least six foot thick. There's archaeological evidence that confirms the account that we're going to read today. Even the burning of the city, they have still they found the evidence that, that the city was burned to the ground. And so we, as we're in Joshua chapter 6, I'm going to read verses 1 through 7, a little bit of a recap of last week of what we talked about. It says, Now Jericho was securely shut up because of the children of Israel. None went out and none came in. So it's locked up. It's secure. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand, its king and the mighty men of valor. You shall march around the city, all you men of war, and you shall go around the city once. This you, this you shall do for six days. Okay, so, so the, the, the men of valor, the men of war are going are to lead, and they're going to go around once for six days. And, on, and seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns, horns before the ark, which is the ark of the covenant, which was the presence of God. But the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow their trumpets. And it shall come to pass, when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, and when you hear the sound of the trumpet, I love that, when you hear the sound of the trumpet, that all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city will fall down flat. And the people shall go up, every man straight before him. And Joshua, son of Nun, because he had no parents, Joshua, the son of Nun, called the priest and said to them, Take up the ark of the covenant, and let the seven priests bear seven trumpets of the ram's horn before the ark of the Lord. And the Lord said to the people, Proceed and march around the city, and let he who is armed advance before the ark of the Lord. I want to pray. Lord, as we come to this text today, Lord, I, I'm truly dependent, Lord, on you to make this word come alive to your people today. Lord, that it would resonate in hearts, Lord. And Lord, you would do through your spirit, Lord, what no man can do just by talking. Lord, I pray it would bear much fruit. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, we sang, I had the worship team learn this song that we sang this morning about walking around those walls, because I love the aspect of the heart of that song. I know it's not an easy congregational song to sing, but the truth in it is so fantastic and is so great. that. And I love it. It says, walking around these walls, I thought by now they would fall. 
It's really true that walls separate, we're separating Israel from their full experience of blessing. And we can hit walls in our lives as well, can't we? Walls that keep us from moving into all that God has for us, that, that are between us and the destiny that God has. And so we see today a group of people who were able to move into what God had uh, through a uh, uh, submissive, um, willing, obedient heart, through being people of faith, of, through just walking in worship. And as they responded to the Lord in worship and in spiritual warfare, that the Lord did what the Lord promised that he would do. And their part was a part of obedience and a heart of submission and a, and a part of wanting to be a part what God was doing. And, and, and they, as, they, as they fought this fight, but they didn't fight it in conventional means, did they? It was, it was unconventional warfare. And, and the Bible tells us that our warfare is uncon, un, unconventional, that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers of darkness, that there really is a spiritual battle, a spiritual struggle that we're in as we move into all that God has for us. That Paul said that, that, that we, would, we need to fight the good fight. He told us that we need to be able to suffer hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. He told us to put on the full armor of God. This war started in the Garden of Eden, and it's going to continue until Jesus comes again with the full establishment of his kingdom on this earth. And what's interesting here is that God's ways often contradict, usually contradicts, the world's ways. God did not choose battering rams and ladders, and he did not, he did not choose uh, flaming arrows uh, to attack Jericho. That wasn't the way he went about. Instead, he used horns and shoe leather. He used worship. He used obedience. And, 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 whether in the, and you see this all through the Bible, whether it's Joshua with trumpets, Gideon with his, his, uh, his torches and, and pitchers, or David with his sling, God delights in using the weak things to confound the wise, doesn't he? He does that. And we know why he does it, because it glorifies him. It glorifies his name. And he's looking for people who are willing to to be completely radically obedient with hearts towards him, no matter what it looks like. That our focus isn't in comparing ourselves to the culture around us, but is our heart in tune with the creator of this universe, with the spirit of God, and what he's saying to us, and are we responding to him? Because there's a promise in First Chronicles 16.9. It says, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the earth to show himself strong, on behalf of those whose hearts are perfect, whose hearts are set, whose hearts are devoted on Him. That the Lord is just looking for people whose hearts and minds are focused on Him because God uses the humble, yielded servant, not the experts. That's not who God uses. God goes to David, the forgotten about son. He's the one that has a heart after me. He delights in using just regular, normal, salt-of-the-earth people because he gets the glory, because it all focuses on him. And and the one thing I love about this this account is that God's plan works perfectly. We'll see that. You know, when we follow God's plan, it, it works, doesn't it? Have you noticed that when you live according to his instructions, not his written instructions, absolutely, but also when he leads us, uh, when he whispers those things in our heart, as he instructs us, which always lines up with his word, how many of you notice life works better that way? Can I get an amen on that one, right? 
And if you ever, have you ever just kind of, well, thought maybe you were the exception? Have you ever? Hey, we're not, are we? We're, there are no exceptions. His way works. His way works. And one of the ways, one of the great things about perfection here is even in the number. Notice the number, the repetition of the number seven in our text. Just, just notice this. There's seven priests, seven trumpets, seven days of marching, seven circuits of the city on the, you know, times around on the seventh day. And the number seven is woven into the life of Israel. Sabbath was celebrated on the, on the seventh day of the week. Seven weeks from Passover is Pentecost. The seventh year is the sabbatical year. The number seven represents completeness and perfection. In fact, the word seven in Hebrew actually means to be full or to be satisfied. When God finished his work of creation, he rested on the seventh day and he sanctified it. The number seven speaks of God's perfection. And it's no coincidence that seven dots the plan all over Jericho because it shows us that God's plans are perfect. His plans are perfect. Watch how the people respond. This is significant. This is a very interesting text. I don't just have three, like, really nice, clean three points because this text is really, because it's this, it's a historical account of what happened. Um, there's great difficulty in, in leading and like laying out the, uh, a real clean outline. But so what I'm going to do is I'm just going to point things out in the story along the way. And so one of the things I, I really notice um, at the very beginning, that really just sticks out is that as they marched, remember they were marching, that they marched with willing and obedient hearts. Willing and obedient hearts. I mean, they truly were. Like they were willing to follow Joshua. They had submissive hearts. That may have been the greatest asset of the people of Israel at this stage was simply their submissive heart. We don't read in these verses of them grumbling, do we? I mean, imagine what it would be like today if, an, if, if, if a leader told us to do something like this, right? I mean, folks might want to call for a vote, right? We, we're not sure you're hearing the word of the Lord on this. I mean, it would test our submissiveness, wouldn't it? Our willingness and our heart. But guys, there is a supernatural principle to submission. A supernatural principle to surrender. A supernatural principle to having a willing and obedient heart. God resists the proud, but he gives grace and strength to the humble. You know, we don't read of the people of God uh, accusing God of using senseless military tactics here. Instead, we see people that are doing exactly as they were instructed to do. God gave the instruction to Joshua. Joshua gave the instructions to the priests and the people. And then they gave them to the people. And they did exactly as they were as they were instructed. Joshua had a submissive, a willing, and obedient heart to God. And because he did, his people did. His people were willing to follow him. I mean, they had just seen God split the Jordan, right? I mean, God was doing amazing things on their behalf. The manna had, had stopped. They could see there was this transition. And they were trusting God. They were trusting him for this. He led them with his own submission. And I love verse 8. You put verse 8 up there. Just the first, really, as you put up verse 8, this is how it starts. It says, so it was. So it was. Well, that's not it. But, um, but if you look in your Bibles, it'll say, so it was. So it was. They did exactly 
as they, as they were told to do. So it was, they were obedient. They were obedient. There's a, there's a story, there's accounts of, of General George Patton, World War II, when he would need to promote somebody. Uh, and he was looking at a group of guys of who he was going to promote. Um, he would, what he would have them do is he would ask them to dig a ditch about 30 foot long, about 6 foot wide, and about 6 inches deep on the side of a, of a building. And he would line the guy, he would tell the guys, this is what I want you to do. And, and, they would, and so they would go to start digging, and he would get on the other side. He would get on the inside of the building, and he would listen to the guys and he would listen to see what guys were saying. Why is this thing only six inches deep? Other guys might say, we have a, don't we have equipment to do this? This is a stupid idea. And he would listen for all this. And there'd be, then there'd be somebody who would say, you know what? The reasons don't all, let's don't worry about that. Let's just do, let's just do what we've been asked to do. Let's just do what we've been told to do. Let's just do it. And he would know at that moment, that was his guy. That was the one he was promoting because he had a willing, obedient, submissive heart. And I wonder if we were in that group of people, which one would we be? Which one would we be? Would we be the one that would be talking about uh, thinking we had a better idea? Or would we be willing to, to just do as, as, as we're instructed? What kind of submissive, willing, obedient heart do we have? What kind of heart do we have towards government instruction? What type of heart do we have in school? Kids, what kind of heart do you have towards your parents? Because, kids, I'm telling you, if your heart is not willing and obedient to your parents, there's a promise. It's a two-sided promise. If it is, if your heart is, is a, a set on, on obeying your parents and being submitted to them, it will go well with you and your days will be long. But there's a flip side to that promise. And if you don't, your days will not be long and it will not go well with you. That's a promise. That's a reality. There's a spiritual principle there. With our spiritual leaders, I have spiritual leaders. Do I have a submissive heart? Do whatever, a whatever heart attitude? Do you? Or does everything always have to make sense? You have to always know everything or understand everything in every situation. We don't always. Isn't sometimes we just have a, lean, a leading of the Lord? We should say, Lord, the best I can hear you, I'm obeying you. For the very best that I can hear, I can obey you. And so we see that they marched with willing and obedient hearts. They marched in faith. They marched in faith. I, I love this. I love this. Can you imagine what was going on in the mind of Joshua and the people of Israel when they first heard the plan to bring down the walls? I mean, can you just imagine that, that they, they see they're circling with ram's horns and the Ark of the Covenant? Can you just imagine what was going on in their minds? But God's ways are perfect, aren't they? Hebrews 11.13 gives us a clue as we look back. It says, by faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they went around them after seven days. By faith. By faith it happened all through Scripture. It's by faith. It's by trust in God that things happen. I mean, why do you think God had the people walk around 13 times around the city? You ever thought about that? Why would God have them walk 13 times around the city? History tells us it probably would have taken them about 30 minutes. That's about how long it would have taken. Every time they walked around that city, they had to have realized this is impossible except for God. Except for God, this is impossible. And the Lord wanted them to really have a perspective of that. That 
It wasn't because they could walk fast. It wasn't because they had some, the newest military technique. It was faith in a God that only because of God this would happen. And they weren't complaining. They weren't, they weren't griping as the generation before them did that griped about the land that God had called them to. God had built this into them, that they were to walk around them. Hebrews eleven six says, Without faith it's impossible to please Him. For he who comes to God must believe that He is, and He is a rewarder of those who seek Him. And so, today, where's your faith? Where's your trust? Is it in your resources? Is it in your health? Is it in your network? Is it in... What, what is your faith in? And I'm telling you, if it's in anything other than Jesus, it will let you down. It will fail you that Jesus is the, really the only thing in this world that we can truly, truly trust. You know, and some say, isn't it true, some say faith is a, people have faith, it's, it's a crutch, right? Have you ever heard that? Oh, that's just a crutch. Well, I mean, the reality is that we live by faith every day. Isn't it true? Like you got in and you, this morning, unless you're like me and you live close enough to walk to church, you, you, got, you got in and you, 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 you cranked your, your key expecting it. Or no, now you can push a button, can't you? Push a button. And, uh, and, and you expect your car to come on by faith, right? We had faith that the lights would work in here this morning, and most of them do. We have two or three that didn't, but most of them do this morning. You just have faith. You have faith that when you go through the stoplight or the go light, somebody's stopping on the other side, aren't you? I mean, you look, but you just you have faith that people are going to follow laws. We, we, we live by faith. I have faith that this platform is going to hold me up. And I have good evidence that it will because I've preached on this platform for 12 years. So there, there's history that tells me I'm going to be okay up here. And I'm telling you, I've walked with Jesus a long time. And I have history that tells me he's going to come through. I have history that tells me that, that even when it seems like there's not going to be a way, <laughs> there's a way. Even when it doesn't seem like things are going to work out, somehow we're all still here, aren't we? And he makes a way where there seems to be no way. And it's, it's faith as we walk with him, standing in who we are in him. Notice in verse 2, we read it earlier. See, I have given Jericho into your hand. Not I will do it, it's already been done. From God's perspective, it's already a reality God promises that he who began a good work in you will complete it. That it's already done. We haven't fully experienced it yet, but in the Spirit, it's done. He's promised it would happen. Our only, our only job is to stay with him. To walk in willingness and submissiveness and walk in the Spirit of God in faith. Look at verse 10. Verse 10 says, Now Joshua had commanded the people, saying, You shall not shout or make any noise with your voice, nor shall a word proceed out of your mouth until the day I say to you, Shout, and then you shall shout. Interesting verse, isn't it? That they walked in silence. I don't know the exact reason. I mean, have you ever, you ever been to a ball game, you know, and you have the fans that are just like shouting of vulgarities and shouting, they're taunting the other team, the other players, and, 
And you know, and the, the team, the, if the team ever responds, they just get distracted, don't they? And you'll see the coach going to grab them. No, get your, get your, get your head in the game. Don't worry about them. I, I mean, maybe it had something to do with that. Maybe they were, maybe the, the folks in Jericho were, were, were hurling um, insults at them. Maybe they were making fun of them for walking around and, and blowing trumpet. I mean, who knows, right? Maybe he just wanted them to stay in the game, to stay focused. But, but I can tell you in my life that, that silence is truly a form of worship. Because what they're doing here, this is a worship service. For six days, this is a 30-minute worship service as they're walking, even in silence. And then as they walked that last time, that seven times, that, that in silence. How many of you know we don't do silence well, do we? We don't, do we? Did you guys notice between the second and third song this morning, there's a little bit of silence between those two songs during the transition. It was beautiful. It's beautiful. Silence is beautiful, but we don't do silence well, do we? Like, we're busy people, aren't we? We're loud people, right? In America, the bigger, the, the, bigger, the better. The louder, the better. Like, we, we can't handle just nothing, can we? It, it, it's a learned skill. Being okay with yourself and with your thoughts, it's a learned, it's a learned thing. It really is. Silence is a form of worship. John Bunyan said this, it is better, in prayer, it is better to have a heart without words than words without heart. Ecclesiastes tells us there's a time and a season to be silent. And Joshua wanted Israel to enjoy a period of silence. The silence I'm going to read here. The silence was not a retreat from the battle. It was a tactic to do effective spiritual warfare. Many avoid purposeful solitude because they think they cannot stand 10 minutes alone in their thoughts. The solitude is not about you knowing your thoughts. It's about you welcoming the presence of God to have the mind of Christ. The psalmist said in Psalm 62.5, My soul wait in silence for God only, for my hope is from Him. God can communicate to us greatly in silence. For the last year, I've probably spent more time in prayer than any other time in my life. And I can also tell you that I've, I've said less in prayer than any other time in my life. And I feel closer to God than any other time in my life. And I think there's a connection there that I've learned over the last year to just be in the presence of God. To not have an agenda. To just be with Him. To not ask for anything. Just to be with my dad. It's powerful. It's life changing. Can't even describe it. Except it changes you from the inside out. And sometimes it happens because you don't know what to say. You're the lack of words. And so as you sit in his presence, you feel the comfort of the Holy Spirit. And you want more of it. So then you learn to 
just be a little bit more quiet in times of prayer. I was first exposed to this, oh, I don't know, maybe six, six years ago. I w- actually, I went on a spiritual retreat to a, a Catholic monastery. And I went to this monastery, and, and the monks have something they call a daily office. And the, the, the word office there comes from a Latin word, which means work. And the view is, is that that was the work of being with God. And so they would, they would worship, they would, they would work. You know, the one I went to, Assumption Abbey down in south of Ava, uh, they make fruitcakes. Uh, that's what they do for work. That's how they support the Abbey, a Benedictine Abbey. But they have these seven times during the day and night that they stop. Stop everything, and they pray. And I joined in with most of them. Okay, some of them at 3.45 a.m. I didn't make. I'm just being honest. <laughs> Uh, I did one or two, but hearing um, Latin at 345 in a dark um, little you know, Catholic chapel, will, uh, that'll help you sleep. That's all I'm saying. Like it's, it was, but but I, I did. I tried to enter into these times. And so I've incorporated, I've kept that as a part of my like, spiritual disciplines. Of, of, for me, it's, I, I try to do it. I almost always do it twice a day. I try to do it three times a day where, where I have found instead of I mean, there's seasons where you spend longer amounts of time, but I tell you, if we're not careful, we can just go through the day and not really think about Jesus much. And not really walk in his presence. We just get so busy with life. Uh, if you haven't read the book, um, I think it's by uh, Brother Edwards. He was a monk um, practicing the, the, Brother Andrew, Brother Andrew, practicing the presence of God. Man, grab that. I bet it's cheap on Kindle because it's old, old, old. It might be free. I don't know, but... But, but grab it. I mean, it'll change your life. Of just practicing the presence of God. Of just being in his presence. And it's so interesting that they just walked in silence. They just walked in silence. And so what, what I do, how, how I do it is, is there's, there's four aspects. One is I just stop. Okay, that's, can you just say stop? First one is just stop. And how many of you know Americans, we're not good at stopping, are we? You just, sometimes you just got to stop. Okay, you just stop and just be in the presence. So you got to stop. And I focus. I focus on the Lord. I, I silence the things around me. I, I, I get a place that's not noisy. It's not busy. So cars can be great places. It can be great places. Just stop. You can just be in a parking lot somewhere. You just stop. You just get focused on the Lord. And I say, Jesus, be with me. Be with me, Lord. And his thoughts, see, we can't even, we got stuff even going on right now, don't we? I mean, I'm telling you, we don't do silence well in America. We don't. We don't do it. Um, and that's, the, isn't that, that's like the world we live in, isn't it? That there's just distraction, and whoever that is, I'm not picking on you, I promise. But there's just, I mean, that's just a good illustration. There's distraction after distraction. And so we have to really focus to stop and just focus on the Lord and just and then just be with him, just of silence. And then after, I would encourage you to start with two minutes and go to five minutes and start your timer. Do a timer because if not, you'll be looking to see how much time is left. And do that, and then follow it up with the scripture. I'm telling you, make the word of G, of the Lord come alive to you. Psalms is a great place, great prayer book of just doing that. And that's one of the things that can really make a difference in your life. You know the story of Elijah. In, in Mount Horeb, 
So he had been, he had been chased, being chased by Jezebel's prophets. He is a, he's a, he's, he's depressed. He's, he's, he's full of depression and anxiety and fear. And he's waiting on the Lord to pass by. And then what, the, what, the, what, the, what scripture said is it says, Lord, you, if you if you guys remember this, is that the, the Lord was not in the great wind that he was with Job. He wasn't in the earthquake as he was with Moses. Or he wasn't in the fire as he was with Moses at the burning bush. And some translations translate this, but gentle whisper. But the NRSV gets it right, according to the Hebrew, is that the Lord visited Elijah in the sound of sheer silence. The sound of sheer silence. The reason they put gentle whisper, how do you translate sheer silence? How do you put, you, you can't hear silence, can you? Well, maybe, maybe. That's where the word, the, the word, the Lord was, that he was in the silence after the chaos. Friends, when you go through something that, when you have chaos in your life, find silence, find solitude. You know, there's a lots of spiritual disciplines, but we don't do silence and solitude well. I'm telling you, it'll transform your spiritual life. So stop, focus, have silence, and then spend some time in Scripture. And then another thing, another just huge spiritual aspect is observing Sabbath. And you guys are here today, and, and so I know I'm preaching to the choir, but I just want to encourage you guys in Sabbath. Just encourage you in, in, in having a day that you stop, right? Again, it's just stopping. Stopping from our labors and trusting God that it'll all still get done of just stopping and of resting, of resting in Him. It's an ultimate act of faith. That, Lord, I trust You that I'm going to rest. And it's a rest and Sabbath is faith that God is in control, that He is sovereign, that I don't have to make it all happen. That I can trust in Him that He'll make it happen. And then delighting in Him. Do something fun today, folks. Eat some food Go on a walk, well, if it, if it warms up and gets pretty. But do something fun. Like seriously, with those that you love, do something fun today. And then worship, have time of worship as we are, and contemplation. Of just, Lord, what do you, what, let's think about your last week and think about your week to come. I always try to do that on Sabbath. Lord, what have you done? And Lord, what are you going to do? All right, real quickly. I just want just, to just wrap up a, a couple of things here. And so they begin to do this. Uh, they, they begin to, 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 to go around. In uh, verse 12, Joshua rose up early in the morning. Again, that's a sign of a heart of obedience to him. The priests took up the ark and they did this. They were obedient to do this. They did it. They, they give the account on the first day and then they skip over. They say the second day, but then they did the same today, seven. And so we come today, seven in verse 15. But it came to pass on the seventh day that they rose early. The people rose, they were excited. They had hearts of faith and obedience and willingness, and the dawning of the day, they marched around the city seven times in the same manner. And on that day, they only marched around, they marched around seven times. And the seventh time it happened. And when the priests blew the trumpets, the Joshua said to the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. Now this is fascinating uh, grammatical structure here, okay? Because here we go. I'm going to read it again. And the seventh time it happened, and the priests blew the trumpets, that Joshua had given to the people and shout, for the Lord has given you the city. 
what would you think is next? You would think it would be the shout. You would think it would be the wall coming down. That's verse 20. So he stops. The author here, the writer here stops. This is the climax of the story, okay? The climax. This is it. This is what we've all been waiting on. And he stops the story. And he says, Now the city shall be doomed by the Lord to destruction. It and all who are in it, only Rahab the harlot shall live. She and all who are with her in the house, because she had hid the messengers that we sent. Verse 18. And you by all means abstain from the accursed things. Some translations call them the devoted things. Lest you become accursed when you take care of the accursed things or the devoted things and make the camp of Israel a curse and trouble to it. But all the silver and all the gold and all the vessels of bronze and iron are consecrated to the Lord and they shall come into the treasury of the Lord. Aren't You see, we are always focused on wanting victory. And here the writer knows, no, what's important is obedience. What's important is obedience. If you're obedient, victory is going to happen. We don't have to worry about the victory. The Lord's already given you the city. That's not the issue. The issue is, will you be obedient people? Will you trust? Will you follow the instructions that you're given? Will you do that? Because those things were set apart for him. We'll get into that next week, the reasons why. But they were set apart for him. The devoted things belonged to the Lord. They were set apart for him. They were, they were, they were set aside. They, were, they, they weren't to be had. And then everything else, he tells us, is going to be burned to the ground. It's going to be destroyed. Every person will be destroyed. And, and if, you, if you take what you're not supposed to take, you're going to be one of those that was, becomes destroyed. Because you've chosen that thing over obedience to God. You've chosen that thing over over him and so here it happens in verse 20 so the people shouted when the priest blew the trumpets and it happened when the people heard the sound of the trumpet and the people shouted with a great shout that the wall fell down the wall fell flat and the people went up into the city every man straight before him and they took the city they took it they got it. And then we see what happens here. And then they go in and they tell them to utterly destroy the city, destroy everything. And this was the judgment of God. And we talked about the judgment of God last week. Uh, we, we talked about this. And, and I just want to make another couple of, of just, thought, just thoughts here. I want to throw this out. That, you know, when you read things like this, it's very, very important that we remember that God is God and we are not. Okay? God is God and we are not. And that what he says goes... And what he calls holy is holy. And if we ever think that God has to meet our expectations or meet what we think should happen, then we've got the whole thing upside down. We've got the whole thing backwards. And that's not how we should ever approach it. We do not have to make all of God's actions meet our logical standards. We talked last week about why judgment needed to come to this nation. And Israel was his tool of judgment to bring it about. And he also, we know that later Babylon will be his tool of judgment towards Israel. That God had, had chosen for judgment to come. And for any of us to say, well, God didn't have the right or God shouldn't have done that, that is not our place. 
That, that, that's not for us to decide. He is God, and His ways are pure and are right and are holy. And we can break them down some more, and we'll talk about them some more, but we just need to get that. If we ever think that God has to, has to fit into any box that we create with our thinking, with our perspective, that is a wrong approach. An approach is, Lord, you are God, you are holy, you are just, and I want to know you. I want to know your ways. I want to walk with you, not have you fit in a box of my understanding or my imagination. But every time judgment comes, we see with judgment comes an opportunity for repentance. Every time. And so it is here with Rahab. Because she had, her family had turned their heart towards God. She was spared. She was saved. And what this really, what this whole story is all about is, is a principle that I know I've taught you guys before over the years, but I want to do it one more time. And it's called land and worship. Land and worship. As you look at the people of God, Every time their hearts were set on him, their focus was set on him, set on the Lord, that they possessed the land that God had put before him. When God was who they worshipped, instead of stuff, instead of false idols, instead of the things of this world, when their heart was set on God, they possessed the land that God had for them. But any time their hearts stopped being a heart of worship, of obedience, of submission, then they always missed out on the land, on the promises of what God had. We'll see this in our story next week, where Achan gets, he gets, starts worshiping the wrong stuff, and there's impact with it. But land and worship is always tied, always tied together. And so for a way to you guys help to remember the story this week, I asked Sam to come up and help me. Sam, will you come help me? Sam's going to come up, and he's going to, this is a kind of trumpet, a ram's trumpet that would have been blown at Jericho. And so I want you guys to close your eyes. Or I want you to imagine a great wall, a great city. I want you to imagine the people of God, the warriors going first, then the then and then the priest, and then the um the Ark of the Covenant, which was the presence of God, because that's what it's all built upon. And if Sam, he's going to blow the trumpet in just a moment, I want you to just try to picture what would have happened. All right? Sam, would you just blow your trumpet just real loud. Just let her rip. Awesome, man. Isn't that great? Okay, we're going to do one other thing. I want you to picture whatever that wall is in your life. Whatever that wall is, what is that that's keeping you from what God has for you? You, might, you know what? You might not even know what it is, but you sense it. Like you, you know there's something. I'm telling you, friend, the way through that wall is with a willing, obedient, submissive heart of faith. Of faith and of worship. Of faith and of worship. And as you picture this wall, I want, Sam, I'm going to have you blow it one more time. And, and friends, I want you in your mind to see this wall coming down in Jesus' name. Go ahead and blow it, Sam. Can we just thank the Lord this morning for what you... Lord, we thank you, Lord. Lord, we give a shout of praise, Lord. Thanking you, Lord. 
for victory in our lives. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, Sam.